Thriving, Not Surviving, with your host, Gina Gardner. To lead others, you first need to be the best version of yourself and lead from a place of wholeness. Motivation, empowerment, leadership, personal and spiritual development are just a few of the topics you will hear on Thriving, Not Surviving. So sit back and enjoy the show with your host, Gina Gardner. there and welcome to BBS Radio. I'm Gina Gardner and I'm very very pleased today to welcome my good friend Renee Johnson. Renee and I have been working on a collaboration and it's been really exciting. Now those of you who are familiar with the radio show know that I don't want to miss all of the juicy bits of the bio so I make no apology. I'm going to read it and this is a very impressive lady. Renee Johnson is the founder and CEO of PowerZone Coaching, a strategic leadership company developed from over 25 years experience of turning struggling or stuck businesses into the vehicle necessary to achieve their profit and legacy goals. PowerZone Coaching's footprint can be seen in the public and private sectors spanning in the US and internationally. By embracing her proven profit zone leadership strategies, Clients meet their business targets and improve their quality of life and make a more significant difference in the world through their influence. Renee is a model for claiming one's power zone and is passionate about serving other leaders to find and embrace theirs. Successfully advancing hundreds of leaders and their teams, Renee is an internationally recognised profitable leadership authority and business education provider an ICF accredited certified empowerment coach, author of multiple publications, including the top selling leadership book, Leaving Your Comfort Zone, How to Lead Your Life from the Power Zone. An accomplished motivational speaker, she's inspired many audiences with presentations about her passions to become the leader of your life, business and communities you serve. Renair and I have lots and lots in common and we're going to have a great conversation and I'm really pleased that you're here to join us today. Renee, thank you so much for joining me um, and I know we're just going to have a great time. So how did you get into coaching and leadership in the first place? Well, again, thank you for having me. I know you have, have uh, such a following. You can have any guest you want. So even though we've done work together, I still find it an honor because I adore you. So thank, thank you. you. <laughs> so I... Very young, I was always fascinated with business and found myself actually uh, very early on being an entrepreneur and finding ways as a teenager to start different initiatives. And and then I got into the dental industry, again, by being an entrepreneur as a teenager, uh, talking my dentist across the street into letting me clean the office. And when I did that, I he started bringing in the soccer kids and then I started getting my hands and then uh, he started giving me some training. I eventually got into where I went to dental school back when it was a two year a degree in dental assisting and I actually graduated. So I went through high school and dental assisting uh, 
the same, pretty much the same time, the last two years, the high school and junior college, same time. I was just always been dang motivated. So I'm leading to a point here is that I went to school, I graduated top where I was invited back to be the youngest ever instructor uh, at the dental school for advanced radiology. And, and then I was involved in different practices and, you know, doing, doing my hands in and working and, and got in deeper into the different uh, organizations that I worked in. And I started noticing a common denominator. These dentists went to dental school. They have passion. They put a lot of time and investment in it. Believe it or not, you got to learn about the nerves in your feet and everything else when you go to not just your teeth. And so there's a lot of invested. And um, they, I found that as I worked in these practices and eventually got into managing several multi-practices, um, that they did not learn in the dentistry uh, schools how to become a business owner and, and nonetheless a leader. And I saw these, these, these symptoms that were painful to watch. And as I was involved in, in my work with the doctors I worked with, um, I started trying on some different strategies that intuitively and also through my research, because I was always been fascinated with business and they started working. And I, I found that, you know, what I noticed in that industry was they would hire people with the knowledge, but then they wouldn't capture the knowledge. And so then when that person left, cause it's got a lot of revolving door in the dentistry, it's one of the top ones that just have a hard time sticking because of this, what I just shared. And so that knowledge would walk out the door. So yeah. you're held hostage. Uh, I found that they didn't know how to motivate their team and inspire their teams to be enlisted in the vision. And so they're all rolling, rowing in different directions, causing conflict. And that can cause turnover, uh, loss opportunity, and not using the strengths that they were having a lot of stress, in their personal relationships, because the wife, you know, was saying, where's the money? Because they don't know how to set the business structure. She wants to go shopping or whatever it is. Or they're, they're unable to scale and grow because they don't have those, those profitable systems in place. And, and they're just working like a one-man kicking machine instead of adding the other additional hygienists or doctors. So what I just shared with you is I had, unbeknownst to me, found the secret sauce. I had identified what I call power leaks, L-E-A-K-S, power leaks, wasted time, wasted resources. So that could be, you know, trainings, also income and so forth but it's also wasted strengths and talents, that of the dentist and that of the team. And as I started documenting this and I started working, had an opportunity to work with a, a, a consulting agency and I started bringing some of these in and we started growing. Eventually that, that we, we separated ways, which is good because I actually had, I had gotten my empowerment um, certification because as I was training and coaching these dentists, I'm like, I need something else bigger in my tool bag because I was identifying then there really needs to be more, more internal inside change, just not the outside structures. Right. Yeah. And so I was, I was doing more learning and I found the only Institute still that's accredited through the ICF for empowerment coaching, which is inside out directed work. We work on psychology and we work on habits and behaviors and we're able to, fulfill a greater outcome on the outside that's sustainable because of that. And I put together, because I'm a system girl of systems, and I, I decided I'm going to bring this into other organizations because leadership 
is not defined by what kind of industry you're in, what kind of title you have per se. You could be a doctor, you could be a CEO, you could be on uh, an executive on in a team and so forth, or team leader. And you know what I found out? It worked in ter- tremendously with those that are ready for the transformation in, in a variety of industries. So it was through my passion for business and and my desire to serve and then my intuitiveness to find a way carve out my own way and now I've been using these systems that I teach on and improving upon them because I always try to stay ahead of the curve you and I both do that Gina and improving upon them gosh for like I said over 20 years now and it's exciting I often hear more than often my clients who find me say, I wish I would have found you 10 years ago. And they say that because they imagine not only what their business would look like and the ease and joy they would have back in it, but also their quality of life and the relationships, because isn't the business supposed to be the vehicle to live your life with? And so that's, that's my story. You know, isn't it interesting? Because although we only met a few months ago and we live across the ocean to one another, that in terms of our values and and of the principles on which our our work is built is very, very much aligned. And that came up. um, Rene and I have recently done a collaboration um, and that's been really interesting to to see how someone else exemplifies the same values and principles you know you talked about that you found some real common issues around um, when you went into businesses and you were able to move those people forward can you identify what you reckon are the top issues that face face people that stop them getting on in business and in life because we're talking about leadership for life aren't we Yes, I firmly believe you got to be a, a leader in your life in order to really be profitable leader in your business. And we and I, in our in our recent show that we've had uh, pub, uh, pu- yeah, published, I guess you call it, uh, broadcasted, we and and it, we were so passionate about that. I, I I second that. I have really rarely, but maybe on a handful and less found individuals that speak the language and Gina definitely is one of those for your listeners and that's why we're so compatible because of those values which leads me into the one of the first things I'm going to do this reversely in what having worked with thousands of leaders and hundreds of team members is when we assess we go in and we are identifying um, what their you know, what their profit centers are and how they're performing and where their power leaks are and what percentage they're leaking out. <laughs> okay. We're assessing them some key, key leaders. And we're also assessing several, several key team members. And in all these years of doing the work, no matter the industry, it comes back to three core things that my, me and my team find that the employees, so I'm reversing this backwards because it always bubbles up to the leaders, doesn't it, Gina? It does so, indeed. Yeah. So the employees will say are what they think are the top power leaks. And so in no particular order, because it just depends, but they're always these three. And so one of them is not having a clear vision to guide and lead with. Mm-hmm. 
And very often I find that um, the vision is set up, I just all kinds of ways. The vision can be set up where it's part of your business plan and then it never gets dusted off or only at board meetings, okay? Um, it can be, you know, just like that homework assignment. It can be um, maybe on the wall somewhere in a frame or on a website, but it, but it doesn't get brought into action and people aren't taught how to enlist in it, how to fight for the vision instead of against each other and how to, you know, serve it and, and so forth. It can be just elite, just a few secret people in silos in the company that know it, or even just worse in your head, okay? And I find that is so common. And I'll often, when I'm assessing, ask them to send me a copy of their vision. If I get one, and that's if. Yes. It's usually outdated. That. Isn't that true? Right? Okay. That's outdated. And, and it does, and it's, and it's really, it's really not targetable. And it's more of a mission, but that's different. That's more your leadership why, you know, uh, that's different than the vision. And it almost nine out of 10 times does not incorporate your values. And values have to be the number one thing as a leader in your vision, because that's how you are going to share your leadership voice. It is through values. And values get people want to be accountable and drive your vision forward when you know how to implement those. So let me get that one I could speak all day on. Yeah, I know we have a limited time. So the next one, um, again, no particular order is that not giving and receiving feedback. Okay. Yeah, you're shaking your head. So, so we hear a lot of complaints about that, particularly if we're coming in and we are, um, bringing in new modalities, new methods and so forth and trying to show the vision of those and how they're going to help support the team and the leaders and the business at large. We will hear team members say, uh-huh, sure. Yeah, okay. And the leader walks out the door going, good luck. Because as soon as you leave or within a couple of weeks, our head is going down going, mm-hmm, remember when? Yeah, let's just keep doing what we're doing because they're not going to follow through. Now, um, that team member wants to have you follow through. They want to hear your feedback. They want to hear your ideas. They want to be brought into the conversation. And I guarantee you the right team members that are aligned with your values want to know how they're doing. That's a big thing. I'm here and I want to know, am I doing a good job or not? Yeah. Don't just assume they know, but draw it out of them because that's how you're going to call them up to better work and innovative ideas. And we need that now more than ever in our environment. That is so key. In fact, one of the profitable leadership soft skills that I teach and that is, is going is dramatically needs to be increased, especially in this digital era is inspiring, inspiring and working internally on where you need to inspire change in yourself and then how you, how you want to inspire change in your team and your organization. And that is, is one that is definitely going to need to be demonstrated through your leadership. And when you inspire, you're bringing out the best in others. You automatically need to enlist feedback. You, you need to learn how to give feedback in this sensitivity culture. Uh, I was on a, a podcast to, a couple weeks ago and they were asking me that, well, how do you, how do you do that? Because everybody's so sensitive right now, at least in the States here. And you know, can't say one thing or you're, you're, you're canceled, right? <laughs> the council culture, but that's where you've got to learn how to use your leadership voice, learn how to communicate those values so that you start to create a vision that incorporates 
individuals in to your vision and, and bring out their best. And that's through the feedback. The other third one is, is um, what I call shape shifting, Gina. And you and I talked a little bit about that in, in our broadcast. And as a leader, you get so busy. Your time is pulled, right? And you don't always know how to honor your time. I have a program called the self-honoring approach to managing time. It's one of our proprietary tools and teaching leaders how to up-level their value. Now, not that you're better than anybody else, but up-leveling so that you are consistent at doing your charge. The team needs to be led by a consistent leader who yes. knows where they're going, can communicate that, and, and can follow through with their keeping their word and their commitments. And instead of changing in the wind, uh, you know, causing that stress and lack of security that the employees need, uh, not not following through on uh, you make agreements on certain performance plans or, or, or progress and then forgetting about it. And they have to go and sheepishly ask you for, hey, do you remember when and I fulfilled it? That's yeah. so awkward. And that's uncalled for. I mean, we could talk all day about that. But does that give you an idea of uh, those are, again, back to those power leaks that we specialize in in Power Zone Coaching? And those leaders are HR and you support your leadership team. That's something to consider. That's probably one to more of those is at the heart of your employee's concern. And what will help you, you resolve those will help you keep good talent and attract even better. And if you don't, very costly. Think, you know, you make really good points. But for me, what runs through all of those is... The quality of leadership has to start with the leader. They've yes. got to be authentic. You talk about people, you know, um, being consistent, actually doing what they say they will do. And, you know, if you want to have um, feedback that people take notice of, then they've got to trust you. They've got to have respect for you. So for me, all of the things that you talk about um, in turn come back to is the leader being authentic? Do they walk their talk? Are they somebody who cares about their people? Um, and ultimately, you know, are they leading with integrity, compassion? Do they have the courage to not only give feedback, but to say to their, their employees and listen? Yeah. So what do you think of my leadership? How could I make that even yes, better? Yes, that's give and receive. But all those are values, are they not? And they are. you are so right. We, we as human beings, you know, that's how we get drawn to each other without words is energetically. It scientifically values our, our, our core motivating factor. There are energy and how we, we attract and we motivate and what, what we make our decisions based on. And when we feel like somebody's out of integrity with their values, excuse me, um, a little hiccup there, um, like, for instance, you're going to go buy a product and they're selling some health product. And you're like looking at the person that's selling this to you and they don't look like they're taking advantage of what they're asking you to lean into. Yeah. How likely are you going to buy the product? So leaders, that's the same thing with you. The values you have in your life are going to come out in your business. Bottom line, it has to, you can pretend you can put a mask on, but I see it all the time. When I work with my leaders, it is I work simultaneously on the leadership in their life because it's directly going to represent in their business. If you only value X, 
you can't come over here and magically start valuing over here because you don't over here. You're going to be in conflict. That's going to be draining. And energetically, your team's going to pick up on your falsehood. Right, Tina? Ultimately, you're the common denominator. Yes. We take you into every moment of every day. So yeah. when your values are not aligned, your values are not aligned with your behavior or your language, there's a problem. When yes. the values of the company are, you know, they have these values that often are on, aren't they? They're on a poster in the yeah. in reception or they're in the handbook, but they're not living. They're not breathing in terms they're not, of. They're their not breathing. Day. Exactly. They're, they're not, not alive. Yeah, they're not alive. Now, you and I, I know because we we work together, we could we could go on all day yeah. and have so much to offer. But we've got a very few minutes left. And what okay. I would like to ask you is, okay, here you are, you've got huge amounts of experience that you've worked with many, many people. So what's the dream now? Where from here? Because we both know we're going into a new era of consciousness and things are changing. So what's for you? What's the dream? Good question. Good question. Um, for me, I'm wanting not only like yourself, bringing that higher consciousness into leadership where it's more of a holistic approach. So that means more deeper inner leader work that's going to come out to the organization. But I really want to help give leaders the permission to start belonging to themselves even more. And what I mean by that is leadership, why I've got several publications, as you do, Gina, and some are smaller books, some are bigger, Le leaving your comfort zone is one of the bigger and leadership, why out the first of next year is what to be a bigger one. And that's going to be a larger platform my, in part of my empire that I'm working on, really, Emergy Empires that Power Zones under, um, because this new period we're in is is. If I, for lack of no, it's actually the right words. There is a calling. There is a calling happening for leaders to truly find that courage and bring an deeper, even deeper, greater truth forward in their work. And yes, even inside of the highest corporate walls. In fact, I had conversations of late with some large uh, corporations, even ones that are backed by some government, so really large. And they're feeling it too, because we too many have been confined in their containers. And there is a coming of home. We're having a reckoning out in society in general. There's a metamorphosis taking place. And those that recognize it and say, oh, this is a calling. And so I am truly wanting to bring that permission and what I call belonging to yourself. And so in the leadership wide uh, empire and bigger uh, platform that I'm going to be growing in addition to the power zone and other ones. But this is going to be more of the holistic work mm -hmm. and not woo woo. This is tangible. You can bring in your life and your business, but even so it comes internally. So finding the source in you. Yes. Huge. Even if you're an empathic leader like myself, have more of the empath skills. It is also going to be around uh, building a deeper trust in yourself. Cause when we do that, we get out of our own way, out of our big like comfort zone, peel back even several layers of it. And there is a grander truth, a braver truth, and a voice that you'll be able to time leap 
and create innovation like crazy, inspire people like never before, and bring a deeper quality of, of to your life and the essence of your relationship. So that is my bigger truth that I intend to bring forward here in this, this coming next year. Well, setting that intention, I think it's fabulous. In the last minute or so, where can people find you? Thank you, Gina. The best place to find me is my website. And since it's Power Zone Coaching, uh, just go to Power Zone Coach. I'm affectionately known as the Power Zone Coach, so not coaching.com. And on there, you're going to find access to everything, all my social platforms, link to my Amazon authors page, and different assessments that you can take advantage of and find out where you're leaking and how to improve your performance in your leadership and in your business. So that's the best place, powerzonecoach.com. Thank you so much. And thank you for being on the show. Uh, Lots and lots of rich, juicy information for people to take notice of. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Gina. Thanks for having me so much. A pleasure. Now, don't go away. There'll be a short break and then come back because we've got a genuine conversation with myself and Rachel. And I look forward to seeing you in just a couple of minutes. If you're a businesswoman who is overwhelmed or suffering from imposter syndrome, who is tired of having one disastrous relationship after another, or who finds it hard just to say no, well, it's time to take care of you. You get the best out of life by contacting Gina Gardner, relationship coach and best-selling author and motivational speaker. Just visit genuinely-u.com or you can email Gina directly at Gina at genuinely-u.com. Take action now. Start to thrive rather than simply survive. Imagine being a highly successful, enlightened leader who is in complete alignment with your best self, who makes a positive difference on a daily basis. Let me introduce Gina Gardner, an expert in developing transformational leadership with over 30 years of experience. Gina has developed a unique and unrivaled approach to help you step into your genuine power to become an enlightened leader. And when you do, amazing things happen. Go to enlightenedleadership.co or email Gina at gina at genuinely-u.com. Hello there, and welcome to our genuine chat. As you know, Rachel Davidson and I have a a conversation about a theme around life. And today our theme is, is trying not to die your definition of living. Now, 
It's particularly pertinent that Rachel Davidson is here. As you know, she is an international best-selling author. She has a trilogy of books, um, Beyond the Veil. And one of the themes within the book is about how living um, in the face of a terminal illness for the person involved and for the family brings forth all sorts of of emotional thoughts and issues. And in today's um, genuine chat, I want to talk to you about what do we mean by living? Now, I've known and um, known well several people who have had a terminal illness. And one of the things that struck me has been how they squeeze the life out of every day, that their whole journey is not about the dying bit but about making the most of the living bit and yet I think so many people are fearful of dying that they play small as a result of that now I know this is uh, an area that that you've thought a lot about because of your book mm-hmm. so what's your view um well this this particular title for this particular genuine track came because of um I read Matthew McConaughey's um biography it's a sort of a an ode to his life and right at the very end he has a particular quote um that is very Matthew McConaughey um he says um let's dance with time and redeem it because we don't live longer when we try not to die we live longer when we're too busy living very Matthew McConaughey if you read that uh, book it's called Green Lights uh, I, I got rid of the dust sheep because I always do on books um, I think it's very pertinent actually given the 12 months that um that the western world definitely um has gone through with the fear of a particular way of dying that has overtaken society removed um behaviors that are, that are absolutely critical to a, a happy and good life sensible in the beginning when we didn't understand what this particular way of dying was going to do and how many people would would demise but as time has gone on and on and it's become more and more clearer with actual scientific data that the reality of death through one particular means versus another particular means um, isn't that much higher then it comes into question the are we really going to only start living when people stop dying because there is a sort of a crazy fear, a sort of pathological um, denial of what is inevitable for all of us. And that is that none of us are getting out of this thing called life alive. It's very true, isn't it? And not only, I mean, the, the, the first story in the trilogy Beyond Veils, um, The Point of Me, is about James, who does have a terminal illness. And his story is about how he comes to terms with that, how he accepts And that was really out of my own sort of exploration of facing death. You know, you get to a certain point in your life, your parents get to a certain point in in their lives and you begin to understand this sort of thing of, oh, yeah, none of us get out of it alive. Or at least it starts to press in on you more. And if you're sensible, in my humble opinion, you don't run from that. You don't try to, you know, stay young forever because actually there's no grace in it and it's also not really where happiness in my opinion comes from so 
so in order to try and sort of, you know, deal with a couple of my fears, uh, and don't get me wrong, it's not like I've written a book and solved it and like now I'm cool with it. <laughs> but certainly looking through the eyes of a character who was facing it and asking those questions for the character, I was effectively asking them and answering them for myself. And, and the thing is that there are many, 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 many ways to die. <laughs> okay. Some, some deaths in society are absolutely abhorred, yeah? Other deaths in society seem to be fine. For the American listeners, for instance, they will know that 17,000 teenagers a year, I think it's 17,000, maybe 13,000, but it's of the region of, you know, in around thousands, teenagers die a year by one particular method of death, and that is gunshot. Teenagers... Not 82-year-olds, teenagers, you know, massive amount of quality life uh, years to live, just gone in one stupid action because of a particular allowance of a particular thing. Yeah, not getting into all the political things around the right to and all that malarkey. But nevertheless, 17,000. Well, if you talk about that in the UK, the biggest cause of male death under the age of 42 is suicide. Suicide. And it's on the rise. And I'm told it's similar in the US. But I, I, I want this to be some uh, uh, a talk about living rather than the methodology <laughs> of dying. Because what strikes me is there are many people who, whilst they are still breathing, are effectively living a life that is no life. So that, that's why I talk about methods of death, because if you're going to live a non-life because you're frightened of death, um, at least pick something that's worth being frightened of. Get irate about the fact that if you live in America, your, your children could get shot. Get irate about that, but don't get irate about a, a, a virus or something that is very, very hard to control. It. Don't get behind a car. You're much more likely to die in a car crash than for many, many other reasons. You're much more likely to die of your love of sugar than for many, many reasons. My point is not that you should live a Puritan life and all this. My point is get a grip on your, uh, your ability to accept risk and really, really have a look at what it means to live a happy life. There's a meme that's going around of a lion that's in a zoo. And, you know, it's pointed out that he has a very easy life. But he sat there looking a bit depressed. There's a there's a picture underneath him of, of his counterpart out in the wild who's looking majestic and free. And the question is given in the meme, rather sort of tritely, maybe, of, you know, which one would you rather be? But actually, you know, there is a point to that, isn't there? And that's what Matthew's saying. And he certainly hasn't led a small life. He has challenged himself in ways that um, most people would never, never dream of. And certainly most people who are, have obtained a level of success and have uh, a lot more to lose potentially. And he takes him, has taken himself off into the world and experienced it without any of the superstar entourage and, you know, all of that. He, he just goes. And that's very much at the heart of why he thinks he has lived, um, in his terms, a successful life. And he feels happy with it because he has actually grabbed it by the horns and done it, lived. And I think that's a really vital point. And there are a number of things from that. One is that life is not a spectator sport. No. That if you sit on the sidelines, being 
wishing that things were different, then you're going to get a very different experience than if you actually play full out. And if it's fear that is keeping you stuck, and for most people, I think it is fear that keeps them stuck in there, in what their illusion, it's actual madness, really, the illusion that their life is is safe and secure. Then for many people, I think what they create is, is literally hell on earth, because they're neither happy um, you know, if you think about the the huge explosion in the use of of antidepressants, for example, and we've talked about that before, you know, that's you know that life is not treating you as you believe it should be treated, and that you don't have the resilience, or you believe you don't have the resilience to deal with that. Yeah, the depression and anxiety, and all of the you know mental health categories that sort of you know go underneath those massive umbrellas they're all fundamentally your soul knocking on your door saying something's not right please listen and there's a brilliant book on it that you and I both know by Johan Harry um, Lost Connections yes in which he makes it really clear goes through all of the science all of the clinical trials around antidepressants looks at the drugs versus the non-pharmaceutical interventions. And and it's very clear that the, the malaise of the Western world is because we are living in a very unnatural, separate manner, both to the nature around us and to each other, to one another. And and you just, I mean, he, he talks about, um, I, I forget which country it is, but it's in the Asian, I'm going to say... Thailand or Korea, forgive me, I should have done my research, but he he talks about a particular country that doesn't have a vocabulary for depression, just doesn't have it, because they still very much live in village communities where if somebody is beginning to feel disconnected, the, the community you know goes around them, sorts it out, they just, they, they see the problem and they react. It's one of the... We don't do that in, in these in our Western so-called civilised societies. It's people one of the reasons on why when they've done research about happiness, that they have found that the people who are happiest are often those with the least material goods, that they live in such communities you describe, that they've got enough to eat, not plenty, but they've got enough to eat. And the that sense of who they are that sense of self is very well developed and that sense of belonging being part of a family or community and so on is really really strong yeah so we come back think, to Matthew's quote where he says we live longer when we're too busy living and what what we mean by that what I hear from that is yes. when we have meaningful relationships when yes. we feel that we we're part of something that we have a purpose that um that our opinions are seen and heard and that we get to listen to other people's opinions and we learn and grow. This is, this is a life that doesn't necessarily have to mean like Matthew did traveling to the Amazon Not and to Africa. No, no, it, you know, by all means, stay in your single village for the rest, for the whole of your life. It doesn't mean that you're not living, but what that does mean is that you are engaged, that you are actively out there doing I'm- I'm reminded of the story of the of the the man who um, was very very wealthy and successful on on Western in Western terms above and beyond, and he got to the pearly gates 
Um, and he was very disappointed when he was not greeted with with huge acclamation as he'd done um, a great deal of charity work, as he thought, because he had given money. Mm. Um, and he was called in and said, you know, we we base our judgment on whether you have lived a rich life. Mm. And he had no concept of what they meant. And so he said, let me show you um, a film. Uh, and they showed a film of his cleaner mm. who had taken three buses to get to him, who had uh, 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 nothing in terms of what most Westerners would would um, consider success. Mm. And as she left his house, having cleaned it and sorted him out and cooked him a meal and all of those, she went home into the arms of her loving family where she was the matriarch with her children who adored her and her her community that she helped. Um, and it, the film was full of little vignettes of her going out of her way to make a connection and to do something for others and to also to receive. So it wasn't just a one-way thing. Mm. Um, and the guy was very quiet. And then he showed uh, the, uh, the, the gentleman uh, a video of his life, which was about boardrooms and about bank accounts and his charitable work was writing a check he didn't actively get involved or emotionally get involved at any time it was a good business thing to do Mm. and the question was asked who has led the richer life now it's a very extreme story but I think for all of us and I'm not suggesting you know that that material things are bad they're not in and of themselves but they are not what give us a rich and engaging life not necessarily there is that slight sort of skewed thing again in our western society where we think money is going to solve everything Mm -hmm. if i could just win the lottery i'll be a lot happier well yeah you could win the lottery you're Uh, not more comfortable maybe and again you know it's not the money itself that's the bad thing it's not actually the gun that's the bad thing okay it, it it's all about your attitude to what you're going to do with life Matthew McConaughey is richer than most of us for sure yeah. I'm not sure how he stands in the in the you know the Hollywood Grand list or whatever but he's definitely living a very comfortable life but at no point is is that wealth in in his story the main thing in fact yeah. there's one point at which in his career he he doesn't he doesn't feel that the um, the roles that he's getting are, are fulfilling him. He just doesn't feel it in in his heart, and and he's turning down like fifteen million for one film that he wouldn't even have to think about doing. Yeah, and he he goes through this sort of wilderness, and he's taking a massive risk in terms of his career um, because Hollywood is like most things, like most humans. You know, if you're not sort of if you're not there, then you think mm, I'm, I'm going to get forgotten about. Um, so he goes through this sort of, I think it's about two or three years where he's actively turning down millions and millions of pounds worth of, of earning because he's trying to stay true to what he knows is is where he wants to be, how he wants to be living his life. Yeah. And frankly, that is that has got to be applauded at some level, because who who would have the guts to turn down? 15 million for one film when it would just be so easy to do who had has the guts but he clearly is is just you know determined to do it 
that's the only point at which you get to really understand what kind of money he's earning. Yeah, he doesn't go on about money. He only talks about it in the sense of, yes, when I decided to make a switch, there were risks. And one of them was that, you know, and and, and actually the temptations put in my way were increased and increased. But I needed to just stay, stay true to who I knew I am. That's living. Now, we've got a few minutes left, very few minutes left. So I want to make some suggestions to you. I want you to think about the quality of your life. And if your life is great and you are happy and you enjoy life and that you're, you know, whatever the restrictions may be, that you're making the most of it, that you're creative, that you love who you are, that you have meaningful relationships with other people. Great. Keep doing it. But if you're not, then you have a choice. And the choice is you continue to do what you're doing and continue to get the outcome that you're getting or to make some changes. And there are some very simple changes. We've spoken about them many times. Collect gratitudes. You know, spend the day being in the moment and recognising that even if there's nobody around, that you can still enjoy the natural world, that you can still enjoy the fact that you've got great plumbing or that you're having a nice cup of tea. Do random acts of kindness. They don't have to cost you anything. But, you know, making some making a a, a gesture, doing something for someone else with no thought that it's going to be recognized or acclaimed um, gives you a sense of of connection, which is very different when it's a bartering thing. I'll give you this if you give me that. Be creative. Go and play at something that you do well. For Rachel, it's writing and gardening. For me, it's writing and gardening. For other people, it will be go and dabble with paints or go and cook and bake something wonderful. If you haven't spoken to friends and family, pick up the phone. Don't wait for them. Oh, well, I phoned them last time. Remember, life is not a spectator sport. The other thing you can do is go onto Amazon and buy our books because that will give you a different perspective in life. Uh, Beyond the Veil is on Amazon, Rachel Davidson. If you go to Gina Gardner, um, actually, you'll find all of the books on my website, genuinely-u.com or ginagardnerassociates.co.uk, or you'll find them on Amazon. And there are a lot of books there. Uh, go and choose those. Also, lots of free resources. So thanks for joining us. Live life to the full. Take every day and make that day count in a way that is meaningful to you. Thanks for joining us. And I look forward to seeing you next time. Bye bye now.